Hello everyone, welcome back to Rolling for Change. In this episode, we're going to talk about teaching a game, what it's like to teach a game, and what kinds of, uh, I don't know, psychological stresses we go through as teachers or as learners of games at the game table. Uh, this episode is a little bit older. It was uh, done just, well, really just after Star Wars came out in December. So don't worry, we're going to get back to uh, being a little more current in the very near future. But for right now, um, this is a conversation between Josue and Brian and myself about teaching games. Here you go. for change my name is woody harris and i am joined by my co-hosts brian peace hello and Josue cardona hello everybody hey guys it's been a little while since we've been recording but uh i'm excited to talk today and uh uh just excited to get back to the mic and and talk about whatever's on our mind regarding games but particularly we're going to talk about what it's like to teach a game and what what are the values that you need in order to teach a game and learn a game and there's a lot of different dynamics there that that seem to impact us but i I think first going around and kind of doing a check-in find out what people are uh playing let's let's start with host way what have you been playing i know that you're video game fanatic not game fanatic but you can still tell us yeah uh i have star wars fever because (laughs) a movie just came out i don't know if anybody heard about this so i've not only been i watched the movie i've been going back to watch tv shows um, and I've been playing two Star Wars video games, Star Wars Battlefront and Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that Battlefront 2 contains information that will uh, give more information to Last Jedi. So, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It's a, it's a really, really good um, uh, narrative experience because you meet this new character who's a pilot for the empire and i'm actually also listening to a prequel novel to the game <laughs> which okay. is her story from the explosion of the first death star all the way up to uh the battle of endor and then the game starts in endor and then you follow her life throughout from from that point all the way up to right at the end of force awakens which is technically the beginning of the last jedi okay I, I'm very excited to get to Battlefront. Uh, that's the first time, you know, the, the other Battlefront didn't have a narrative structure, right? No, no. So getting to play a story is much more interesting to me than just getting to play little one-offs where I get to control AT-ATs or, or, or Darth Vader, which was cool, but I want the story. Yeah, and it's great. It's a lot of fun. Although I must say, for my uh, stress relief dollar, I really like just flying a an X-Wing around and blowing stuff up. Well, there is that. So, so actually, good point uh, bringing that up because uh, my favorite part of all Star Wars games is the, the, the flying. I'm a big Rogue Squadron fan. I love the oh, yeah. Starfighter Assault, it's called, in, in these games. And when I started, it's completely different from Battlefront 1. Completely different. 
like things are switched the, the the sticks are switched everything is completely different a different company made that part of the game and it was so hard for me to learn that when i got to a flying part in the narrative i i had to stop i couldn't figure it out i kept changing the controls and i couldn't do it and i had to uh set aside some time and go into the multiplayer and just play with the controls for for a while until i found controls that felt good i essentially taught myself how to play that part <laughs> because I couldn't figure it out because I was so used to the way that it was in the other game. And this was something completely different. Cool. I, I'm I, sure I, we'll get back to that today. I, I need to get back to to playing that game, but I'm, I'm still really looking forward. Like, if, even if there's just a little bit of, like, I just want more information. I just want more information. It's hard for me to, to watch a Star Wars and not get, you know, there's it just left more questions than answers. <laughs> so... Yeah. I'm out seeking the answers now. Yep. Well, Empire Strikes Back left a lot of questions instead of answers. Yes, it so. did. And I, I think that's probably when Star Wars is at, at its best, when it kind of leads you into whatever the next story is or leads you into the backstory. Yeah. So what have you been playing? I have been pl- I haven't played a whole lot of games um, since the last time we recorded. I believe I played three total. Okay. Um, I played Word on the Street, um, which is a... Nice little two-player slash two-team game, um, a timed word game, which if you know anything about me, I dis- despise timed games. This is one of the few that I really enjoy. Um, you have a board that's set up like a street, two lanes on either side, and then a center median where you place all the letters. There are most of the letters of the alphabet. There are no um, vowels and none of the least used consonants. They don't have a J or a, I think an X or a Z. And what you do is one team draws a card that has a, a prompt on it. It might be um, models of cars. Okay. And you have to come up with the name of a model of a car. Let's say you did um, Lamborghini. You would then take the letter tile that's in the middle, L, and pull that toward you, one lane, one lane of the street toward you. A, which doesn't exist in the game, M, B and go through spelling the entire word. And as the tiles move toward you, you have the possibility of capturing them. If you move them two lanes over and then move them a third lane, it goes off the side of the road and you get to claim it. First team to get to, I believe, eight tiles wins the game. It's a neat little game. I really, yeah, really it like, like it. A neat game. The last two times I played it, I lost. Um, one of them was to my wife and daughter. My wife insists that I let them win. They may not be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to either either acknowledge nor deny. Um, The other game was Azul, which is a new um, new hotness game. It's a tile placement game where you um, have, I believe, four tiles on six different stations. On your turn, you're going to draw all the tiles of one type from a tile from from one of the stations, and pull the ones you didn't pick into the center of the table. Okay. Then those tiles are going to go into a lane, which at the end of the round, if it's full, you're going to shift all the t- one tile from that lane into the row, and then the rest get discarded back into the bag. Your goal is to um have as few negatives as possible. You'll have negatives if there if you draw tiles that you just can't place because there's no room for them. Or if there's there are tiles left that you can't place at all because you don't you don't have enough room for them on your on your board in general. Um, 
but you want to be able to get all of one specific type of tile onto your Tableau. You also want to get columns finished and rows finished. The whole thing is set into, I believe, a 7x7 board. I can't remember. It's, mm -hmm. I've only played it once. It was an interesting game. Um, I lost, but I had a respectable score, which was good um, for my first game. And um, yeah, so what I, is I've the draw about this in. game? Because I know it's an abstract. What is the draw? Because the name I, I've heard people just it's on people's tongues. Yeah, as you said, it's the hotness. I don't really. So I hear that it's got a lane. So you've got two games with lanes in them now. Yes. But, <laughs> but what was the draw for you? Like, is is it something you go back to? Yeah, there's something I would definitely go back to. It's for for me if I if I play a game and it looks simple, but there's a significant amount of depth to it. I'm going to come back to try to dig through that depth and try to see how I can improve my strategy. And there's definitely a strategy to the game. There are certain tiles that if you take them, you'll be giving more tiles of that type to somebody else because all those tiles go into all the tiles you didn't use go into the center. Okay. The first person who takes tiles from the center gets a negative one because there are going to be a lot of tiles of their type they're going to get. You get a negative one for being the first person. Everyone else gets to take them for free. Ah, Okay. So you don't want to be the first one necessarily necessarily to grab them, but it's a push your luck portion of it where there's a critical mass where it's worth taking the negative one just to fill up an entire row of one particular color, and you you want to re, you want to grab that critical mass before someone else reaches it, and then you're left with nothing. But at least they got the negative one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so that's Azul. That's that's on my radar. That's that's one I've wanted to hear about. So I'm glad to hear that it's it's got a positive review from you. Um, I I haven't played a lot of games either. I I can talk about three right now off the bat. So I'll start with the board games. Um, so I just uh, Susie and I just adopted a little boy, and uh, he has uh, been interested in Dungeons and Dragons and and very much wants to play games that are like Dungeons & Dragons, so we thought a good starter place would be Talisman. Have you played Talisman, Josue? Do you know about Talisman? Nope. Okay. So Talisman is like the simplest version of D&D &D you could possibly get, if it's D&D &D at all. It's, it's a roll-and-move game, which makes it kind of lose some of its value, but in terms of the storyline that's going on, you're going around and collecting things, you're trying to get a Talisman so you can get to the middle of the board so you can defeat the big demon whoever the big demon is or the dragon or depending on you know whatever your expansion is there's something in the middle to get to and we're on i think fourth edition now the, since the game has this the, these kind of rules though there is a moment in the game when you're in the inner circle so there's three circles you get to the inner circle the middle circle and if you don't have a certain level of uh craft which is their their version of magic or a certain level of strength, then you're going to get sent to God knows where. It's just going to be a random selection of where you're going to be sent. Like you're going to roll the dice, and whatever the dice equal at that point is where you're going to be sent on the board. That can be a very um, disheartening experience, especially if you are expecting great things from this game. And so our experience with was, um, I, to be honest, we both got very frustrated with it. And I, I can see how there's some fix there, but I, I worry about whether or not Talisman is the best alternative to playing D&D, &D, even for a starter kind of set. I really enjoy I mean, I started playing this game in 1980, uh, but um, 
Things change as we grow up, I think. Uh, like, our, our, our catch on games changed. You know, there's a point in my life where I liked Munchkin, and a point in my life where I liked Flux, and now I'm kind of like over those two. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's a maturity thing, or maybe maybe there's a certain evolution that goes with becoming a, a hobby gamer. Um, but that, that was just a very disappointing moment, and what, what I got out of it was that there's this moment. In, you can definitely use the game as a test or a attempting for your ability to manage uh, frustration. Most definitely. <laughs> and we didn't always handle it so well. So um, uh, it, we did, you know, I, talking to, um, in, in the process of this adoption process, talking to our adoption coach, she's kind of coaching us on parenting skills. She did mention the idea of going back and doing a do-over to replay a particular situation where there was kind of a challenge. And so we did that, and that was good. That was a way of, of like remastering a really frustrating point in the game. Hmm. Uh, but when the initial thing happened, meeples went everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had a sort of flip the table moment. Uh, so that's the talisman experience. And then I can piggyback on the Star Wars because I've been playing a lot of Star Wars Carcassonne. That's another mm, one that yeah. uh, my son's really enjoying. And the, the difference in Carcassonne and Star Wars Carcassonne is that in Carcassonne, you're just laying down tiles and you're trying to create area control based on the way you lay the tiles and based on where you put your meeples. That's still going on in Star Wars. But in Star Wars, you have the right to battle for a planet. So <laughs> depending on how many dice that you have available, because you get dice, like you have a big meeple. The big meeple is worth two dice. And then if you have your symbol on the planet that you're trying to get, then you'll get a third die. And the highest of the roll, not not the addition of the roll, but the highest of the roll will be the one that wins the planet. So you, you'll go up against somebody else. Maybe somebody else put their um, their single meeple on your Imperial planet, and you, you've got your big meeple on the Imperial planet, and you're Imperial. So you're going to get three dice to their one dice um, to see if you get to keep the planet. That part makes it really dynamic, and a lot of take that. You know, Carcassonne was never a take that sort of game. But I can honestly say, since it's not really in-depth, like you're not really making huge, amazing strategies in order to get these planets. It really is just a quick wham-bam uh, sort of battle that happens. So it's not like in, say, something like Twilight Imperium or Scythe where you kind of like lose your mind because somebody took your stuff. So that that part is, is pretty cool. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. I don't think you can get it in the U.S. right now. I think it's German only even though it does have uh, English rules in it. But because of the ownership of the rights to the game, it wasn't able to be brought to the U.S. Um, but you can play Boba Fett. You can play uh, the light side. You can play the dark side. And uh, it's good. You can play in teams. That's kind of nice because you can be a dark side team or you can be a light side team. Or Boba Fett's kind of on his own. He doesn't really have a team. Poor lonely Boba Fett. Uh but yeah, that that's one that I would uh, I I would recommend to people, especially if you're looking for a, like a really simple Star Wars based game. And there's a lot of Star Wars games out there, both for better or for worse. Yeah, I I noticed just recently that uh, Imperial Assault, which is probably one of the better iterations of Star Wars game, um, now has an app, so you can play the game, and the app will tell you what to do the same way that Mansions of Madness tells you what to do. So that's pretty exciting. Also, my uh, step, my, my brother-in-law is trying to sell his copy of Queen's Gambit. 
Oh. Oh. We'll okay, have to talk uh, about we'll that have later. to talk after this after this <laughs> podcast. I, I have no idea what that's going to mean, but uh, I knew that'd get your attention. Yeah, it, it does get my attention. So, Queen's Gambit is a it's it's a game that came out of Phantom Menace time period. Uh, it was I think it was done by Hasbro. Was it Hasbro? Yeah, because they've redone it as um, Star Wars Risk. Yeah, well, we're not going to talk about that one. But Queen's <laughs> Gambit had had amazing little miniatures. And you're fighting a battle on three fronts, and it was really well done for being a mass market game. And now that it's no longer in print because the rights are no longer in the company's hands anymore, now it's like one of the most coveted board games out there. And people pay very high dollar to get copies of this game. It's a two-player game that is, um, it's just you as the the rebels, or actually you as the. I guess Republic at that point, the Republic. right? Republic. And then the other guys as the Sith Trade Federation. And, and, and Darth Maul. Trade Federation. Yeah, pre-Federation, yeah. Trade Federation. Trade Federation, yeah. sorry. Um, so that that's a really great game, and I, I've kind of digressed to get off to that point, but... We will I'm be talking after the podcast. talking about a Queen's Gambit game. <laughs> okay. Is today's topic Star Wars? Not really, no. I just, we got caught. <laughs> It's Star Wars fever, man. We're we're all like going through it. How many times have you seen it now? What's your thing you've been saying? Star Wars is life. Star Wars is life, exactly. <laughs> I've seen it twice now, and I'm going to go a third time next week. So I'm I'm, I'm there's hooked. a lot to unpack in the new movie. There Holy really is. crap! Yeah, I've only seen it once, and I, I I want to see it again. Yeah. Okay, and I I I got one more to tell you about, and this one is a video game. And I think it's important to talk about on Rolling for Change because it's got kind of a, a psychological compact, com, a psychological piece to it. I don't know what word I was looking for. Component. Component, thank you. A psychological component. <laughs> so the game is called Firewatch. Have you guys heard of this one? I have yes. not. Yes. Oh, man. Firewatch. <laughs> yeah. So I started playing Firewatch, um, which, by the way, my son has already completed. What system is it on? It's on, I think you can get it on PS4 and probably Xbox One. Okay. Or Xbox. Yeah. Even. It's on um, PC Xbox, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's on, it's probably Steam. Yeah. So uh, you are a, I, I guess the best word is you're a fire watchman, although I guess you're a park ranger basically. Yeah. But you're, you're stranded out in a, um, in a, like an outlook and you've got access to one person who's sort of telling you what's going on around you. But otherwise you are walking the forest and trying to stop people from doing things like starting fires and and shooting fireworks and things of that nature. But the the sort of psychological components that I saw, so first off, the storyline at the beginning, I don't want to give away too much, but the storyline at the beginning that gets him to that point is a little bit tragic. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of sets up this feeling of loneliness out there in the middle of nowhere, and this one voice that you are talking to as your sort of lifeline to reality uh, becomes really important to you. And she kind of helps you and guides you through the process. But it's just been a fascinating uh, game to play. And I love the fact that Rich Summer, who is a, a, a board gamer, by the way, I love the fact that Rich Summer is the voice of the main character. <laughs> yeah. Um, even that game, even just, you know, the, the intro is simply kind of him narrating the story and then you choosing what what choices you made in your past. And yeah. that alone was an emotional experience and it was actually really hard for me to make some of those decisions. So by the yeah. time you actually start playing the game, this game has already done a lot to you. <laughs> it's been quite an experience. 
Yeah, you go through and you have these simple dichotomous choices where it's like one of two choices, which both choices sound terrible, and you have to yeah. make one of those choices. Yeah. Um, highly recommended, um, especially if you just want kind of an emotional experience in, in your video game. Yeah, it's really good. Yep. So uh, those are my games that I've been I've been getting caught on lately. Ooh, and I just made note that for... Um Mac users like myself, Firewatch is available on Steam for Mac as well. Ooh, okay. Happy boy. Excellent. So let's let's get into our main topic here, uh, which we've not even broached really yet, and that is teaching games. And that's not games that teach. It's teaching the games that we play, which is, for me, it's kind Thank of a challenge. Thank you for that clarification. Well, I felt like I had to because the way you say it, teaching games are these games that, yeah, it's just... It's where you put your stress. Teaching games or teaching games. Yes, but I want to make that stress obvious. So a challenge for me as a game owner and a game fanatic is learning to teach other people to play games, learning to teach myself to play games. And it feels like one of the most, like if I get a new game, Bora Bora is a really good example because this is one of my favorite games ever, but the, the rule book's really complicated. It was written by somebody from another planet, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> that kind of experience can be very daunting. And if you're not up for those experiences, you're going to kind of fall when it comes to learning the games that you own. And then there's... So that's the component of learning about it. And the second component that I face is when you're ready to teach somebody else a game that you think you know. It's when you try to teach them that you suddenly realize, I don't really understand this game at all. So... Like the time you taught me to play Terra Mystica. And I knew that was going to come two up. Hours I, into the I game. was not going to get away from that. <laughs> two hours hey. into the game, you, you, you had omitted a rule that would have changed everything about what I was doing. Omitted <sighs> sounds like a, a that I was complicit forgot in the process. The I forgot is a better choice of words here. It was definitely a sin of omission. <laughs> well, Woody tried to teach me Bora Bora, and um, I still don't know how to play the game. <laughs> okay, so caveat for anyone listening... I don't know how to teach games. So that's why I wanted to talk about this because I thought, well, Brian is a really good teacher of games. And I watch people who are really good teachers of games and they get me to really get the gist of the game. I have a good friend named Dave who does a fantastic job of teaching games so much so that he made a business out of it. Um, for the most part. I mean, he was selling games, but he, in order to sell the games, he was teaching games. Uh, so can you, ex- can you explain exactly what he was doing? Because I think it's, it's pretty cool. Could you explain what it was? Sure, yeah. Um, so Dave uh, basically, he was a gamer already, and he had this idea that uh, in order to evangelize the hobby, in order to make a business for himself that he would really enjoy, he would go to people's houses and teach them to play games. Um, that was kind of the shtick that he was going on. Um, I don't know how long that part of it lasted, but soon after that, he started his own game gatherings where he would go to the game gathering and he would pick specific games and he would teach people at those gatherings those games that he'd picked. Um, and he'd sell them to people if they if they enjoyed the games. He'd have them available to, to buy. And so this, this business lasted for about two, three years? About three years. About three years. And uh, I can honestly say I learned a lot. I bought a lot. Yes, not that the business failed. It's just that he got he got bored with it. He got he just got burned out on it. And he decided, well, once I'm burned out on it, there's no point in keeping on going. So he just 
Well, and to be fair, he wasn't really like, it sounds like a great business model, but he was trying to be so fair to his customers that he wasn't really making yeah. much of a profit himself. And so he was barely breaking even to kind of evangelize the hobby. He did a fantastic job of it here in Atlanta. His group is still running, um, but he has since left the helm and uh, moved on to greener pastures. But fantastic stuff. He was quite the salesman. I mean, I ended up buying, um, what was it? Uh, legendary, legendary villains, mm-hmm. because he had the game to show off there, and he said, "Hey Brian, you want to um, pop open the box and sort the cards?" And for me, if I'm sorting a game, it's going to probably end up being mine, especially <laughs> especially legendary because it's such an ordeal to sort the game the first time. The sorting of the game is a, you, you get a PhD by the time you get done with sorting the game. And my wife comes in, she came in a little bit later because she had to work um, farther away than I was. She comes in, sees me putting the game together and says, Dave, you're a bad person. You know that, right? He says, <laughs> I know. She said, we're, we're, that game's going home with you, isn't it? I said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it was a really cool business model that he had, and I, I liked the whole like uh, pampered chef of gaming kind of outlook that he was kind of pushing into the world. Um, it's sad that it didn't last long, but it it did enough to connect a lot of people together. It it created a, a tight knit group here in Atlanta. Um, but he was he was a master at teaching games, yeah. and um, it was watching him that made me realize this is really a skill set that we as gamers need to develop. And uh, I'm still in the midst of trying to do that, to develop that skill set. Yeah, so I found an article that pretty much epitomizes everything that I try to do and everything that Dave was a master at doing. Um, it's a article on Board Game Resource called 10 Tips to Improve the Way You Teach Board Games. Okay. And all 10 of these are just fantastic if you're not... I mean, if, if you've been teaching games for a while, you're going to be saying, well, duh, but... If you, like a lot of us, could use some tips on how to teach games, this is a place to start. Um, So the first one is, learn how to play the game before you teach it. That sounds so elementary, but you wouldn't believe the number of people who try to teach someone a game by reading them the rules. Don't teach someone by reading them the rules. That's, That's a terrible way of trying to teach someone the game. Now, whenever now I will say this. There's a caveat. Woody and I learn games by working together on it. Yes. He sits and reads the rules while I watch um, something like Watch It Played or Rado runs through. And I watch someone playing the game because I have to have that tactile feel. And Woody reads through the rules. And by the end, we have, between the two of us, a pretty good idea of how to play the game. So reading the rules for in that venue is perfectly all right for the two of us. But in general... You should already know the game before you're going to teach it to a group of people. Yeah, that works okay. And I, But I'm really glad that people like Rado and um, Watch It Play and all these different things are out there because I'm the kind of person who I kind of need to see it happen in order to understand it. Even if you know it's me that's going to be teaching the game, I need to see it happen before I really understand it. And I don't know... I don't know if I've ever sat down and just said, I'm going to learn how to play this game, set up the game myself and tried to figure out how, how all the pieces move. Um, and then moved on from there. I, I would turn to, you know, any of the dice tower shows or anything that would teach me how to do it first. That's kind of, you know, this probably has to do with the different ways that we learn things in the first place. 
Like, you know, there are kinesthetic people. There are people that have to see it done. There are people that have to hear how it's done. There are people that have to do it in order to learn it. I'm, I'm kind of in that see it, do it piece there. Well, it's funny you say that because I think about how when you go to a to, to gaming convention, there, there's so many different games. And if you're someone who is newer, uh, you know, to, to tabletop like I am, practically every single game is new. And many times, like I've had that experience multiple times where it's like, okay, let's sit down. Neither of us know what to do. And we're kind of just going through it. Like, like you, like you said, Brian, um, and then you're learning it together. But I've had that experience more often than having someone, and that's just my experience, more often than having someone there that can actually teach me. I, I wish I always had someone there to teach me. And I've also had the experience of like going online and trying to watch a video. But then it's um, like it's that moment where we're all at the table and we're all ready to play. But it's like, wait, wait a minute, I need to watch this 15 minute video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and then like you lose some people and, you know, like what do you do? I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a strange part of the experience, but I feel like it's it's just. It, it's a part of the experience. <laughs> right. And that, that way of learning a game I've found works really well for two people trying to muddle their way through a game. It's whenever you start getting three, four, or five people together that you'll lose some people. Yeah. London yeah. Dread is all I can think of right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> London Dread was a game that at, at, a re- at a recent convention we tried to learn with uh, some other people, and that took us a long time to figure out. Yeah. Um, a convention, maybe. Uh, I mean, you're going to do it somewhere, no matter what. But a convention may not be the right place to do a rules crawl. I don't know. It it for the two of us, it went very well because that's our idiom. That's the way we learn well, games. Yeah. But the other two people were they weren't sure if they even liked the game afterward. And I'm not sure how much of it had to do with waiting for us to figure the game out versus. Versus a dynamic the game of the itself. game. Yeah, yeah, we still need to kind of suss that out. But let's let's move on. What's the next thing on the list? Number two, one person teaches and one person only. If more than one person knows oh. the game, really, stay out of the way if someone else is saying, I'm teaching the game. Unless you are the one who has chosen to teach the game, let the other person have their say. And if they get a rule wrong, like maybe raise your hand or get, try to get their attention and say, but what, don't forget about this. Yeah, And that's fine. Also, if I'm teaching a game and I forget something or I can't remember how something goes, I'll ask someone who I know knows the game. And if someone asks you for help, feel free to chime in. But otherwise, let that person teach the game. I like this. I like it. <laughs> well, it's a little too much when two people try to start teaching a game. And it, it's happened. It It's caused me to not want to play games before. I've had people try to remind me of a rule while I'm in the middle of explaining the game, but I'm trying to explain more general things and they're mm-hmm. trying to explain more granular. And I just give them a look over, I just give them like one of those cockeyed Spock looks and just tell them I'm getting to that. <laughs> the second time they do it again, I'm getting to that. The third time is whenever I, is whenever, you know, that's when I started choking him, your honor. okay so the third one explain the objective of the game first and keep coming back to it so whenever you first explain a game don't start off trying to explain how to play it explain why you're playing it what is the goal of the game the purpose of it and keep coming back to that 
if you know any any jackass idiot knows that well the goal of this game is to get points and here's <laughs> how you fun. get points well no crap the goal of the game in um well let's go back to twilight imperium sure the goal of the, why game, not? the goal of the game is not to attack people left and right it's to achieve victory conditions to yes. achieve goals yes to get points by achieving goals how do you do that and then you launch into the explanation of first explaining the goals themselves knowing that people aren't going to know exactly what that means but explaining a couple of the goals for instance you can do this you can do that um explain a couple of the goals and then say here's how you do all here's how all this works and then get more granular as you go forward but always start with the broad strokes um if you've ever watched um what is his name bob ross oh yeah do a painting it's like that he starts off with these broad strokes and then he gets more fine-tuned until you have magically a painting that looks like something you would never be able to do but following his his movements you're like that looks easy i could do that that makes sense until you get to the end and you're like i can't believe that he painted that like that <laughs> same thing with the game you're going to say oh that sounds easy enough oh that sounds cool by the time you finish the game you're like that was a really deep game and it was so easy to learn because yeah, that's on the teacher the right there yeah but it's funny because i've never seen an instruction booklet written that way no not Ever. the instruction booklets it's the people <laughs> who translate the instruction booklets yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, the technical aspect of writing rule books has got to be really hard. You know, I'd I'd like to talk to some people about what that's like because that it's different to like teach the game versus reading the rules. The rules are often very. I mean, let's let's be fair. We're playing. We're Euro gamers for the most part. So a lot of times we're getting translated books of of rules. You know, if it's something like um, you know, uh, uh, what are the different European game companies? Like Mayfair and I'm trying to think of Aaliyah. I think that's the one I was thinking of. But to your point here, um, you know, kind of even stepping beyond what you're saying, one of the things that that I've seen done really well in teaching games is if you can bring the theme into it in such a way as to say, this is the reason we are doing these things. So you're kind of incorporating the theme into your story of the game. Some people will just kind of say, well, you move these cubes around and you're trying to get this resource, but they don't really explain what that means in kind of like a, a 10,000 put position from the game, you know? Uh, so you as a teacher, Brian, do you experience, like, do you try to incorporate that theme in or do you feel like that sometimes gets too clunky? Um, it depends on the game, really. If the theme really matches the game very well, I'll incorporate it in. If the theme seems kind of pasted on, then I'll usually leave that out or I'll explain it in the bro the broadest possible terms. Like, um, for instance, Azul, you're, you're placing a tile floor, but it's an abstract game. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to leave. I, I might leave out the um, the theme of it until okay. after people understand the game and say, Basically, what we're doing is we're laying a tile floor, but you got to put special, you got to put certain tiles in. You got to buy boxes of tiles, so you've got to have all of one type. But who cares? It's an abstract. So yeah, the the this sort of idea then must only really apply to games that are really heavy themed. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about Pente. You know, this is definitely an abstract game of connecting five little gem things, 
And there's really no theme you could say, you know. There's nothing you could say that explains why you're trying to put five gem things together. Like, um, let's go back to, again, Twilight Imperium. That one, I would explain the theme of the game along with the broad strokes. Yes. Because it's all about the theme. That's the whole point of the game is the theme. Yeah, that's true. You can't play the game unless you understand what it's about. Yeah. You can play chess without ever knowing that it's basically an abstract war sim. True. It you don't really have to explain abs- that part of it, really. Right. You don't need to know that to play the game. Okay. See this thing? That's the king. Catch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? Because that's how you play the game. There's really no theme to it. <laughs> He's not do, some ancient figure that you want to topple. Do most horsemen only move in L shapes? No. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> that's dressage. That's not. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So the next one. Very similar to that is explain the concepts first and details later, which we kind of went into. Whenever you start off, um, whenever you start off explaining a game, like it said, you should explain the objective first, then keep coming back to it. Um, whenever you explain how to get a get a victory point, ex- go back to remember. And this is this is why we do this is because we're trying to get these we're trying to obtain these objectives. Um, explain the concepts first. Um, Let's say um, Lords of Waterdeep. Okay. You might say, all right, you're going to get this card and it has cubes on it. You want to try to get these cubes so you can complete the objective. Then you'll go more granular. Here's how you get the cubes. Here are these spaces on the board and here's what they do. Then you'll explain on your turn, you're going to take a worker, place it on one of these, gather the resource from it. And then at the end of the round, if you can complete an objective, complete an objective. So you start off very general and then drill down into the game as you need to. Okay. And don't leave any rules out. Yeah, exactly. Don't leave any rules out, Woody. (laughs) Yeah, Woody. (laughs) (laughs) If I can just get one moment in every rolling for change where you guys gang up on me, I will be a happy person. Hey, glad to make you a happy person. Yes. Number five out of 10, keep in mind. Yes. So we'll okay. Try to speed this up a little yes. bit. Yes. Ask questions and verify your player's comprehension. As you're explaining the game, you should every so often stop and say, you got all this. Is this making sense? Any questions? Yeah. Because usually by about the quarter of the way through point, I got a question or two. And mm. there are a lot of people who try to teach games who say, save all the questions for the end. Uh, how about save all the questions for whenever you ask for questions and make a set point where you ask if people have any questions. I know it speeds up the game explanation by saving all the questions till the end, but it does not add to clarity. Right. It doesn't speed up comprehension at all because right. you're sitting there with a question that just doesn't connect. To, yeah, I, I can see that completely. It speeds up the, the, the process of teaching the game, but not the process of learning the game. It's going to make it take longer in the long run. Yeah, you might and a lot of people won't over. ask a question. A lot of people will hold it unless you ask them. Right. You have to give them permission to ask questions in a sense. Yeah. Some people. Um, yeah, number six. Recognize your need-to-know basis information. 
the most basic stuff is what you need to know. Do you really absolutely need to know this piece of information in order to play the game? Or is this something that as we're going, I can explain to you later? Um, for instance, in code names, you absolutely need to know that that black tile that you're looking at, that black square that you're looking at there is the assassin. Don't guess that word. Yes. You need to know that information. Yeah. Um, there are in Terra of- Mystica, apparently you don't need to know a whole other currency that is involved in, in the game. <laughs> apparently. I, I set him up and Josue knocks him down. <laughs> Just wait, Josue. I've got a new game called The Gaia Project. You're going to love it. Okay. It's Terra Mystica in space. Yes. Ooh. There, there's a long-running joke among another group of my friends. Um, my friend Zach uh, was trying to teach a game called um, Bootleggers. And whenever he's trying to teach a game to, to this group of friends who were involved in that game of Bootleggers, they'll say, and don't forget, $100,000 wins the game in Bootleggers. Because he forgot to tell them that, oh, by the way, you can win the game with $100,000. That's one of, the, one of the victory conditions. That was absolutely necessary. But here, here's the kicker. Do you need to know the victory conditions of the game when you're starting to play it? The answer is typically no. You don't need to know starting, starting off a game of Terra Mystica that you have to acquire X number, of, X number of victory conditions. You need to know how to get the victory conditions. Then let them grok how the game flows. After the first couple rounds, you can say, all right, now let me stop here. You need to acquire 10 victory conditions and then the game's over. You don't need to know that in the first couple rounds. You're still trying to learn how the game flows. That superfluous information is totally unnecessary. Um, so leave it out. Think for the t- first two rounds, does the person need to know this? If the answer is no, Leave it out of the game explanation. Tell them later. But um, <clears throat> tell them later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because there's also a type of game where you, and I mean like any game, the first time you play, it's understood that this is, this is the training game, right? And, right. Th- and that type of thing is going to happen over time. But uh, sometimes you don't do that. Sometimes you're like, yeah, this is, we're just playing the game, right? And right. I think it it's worth making that distinction that I'm going to continue to add things as we play because we're learning to play the game. It's kind of like this one doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. And it's important, I think, walking into a game that, that you think that way because you can otherwise have the experience of feeling like you've failed in your learning experience. And really, your goal in that first game, I think, is to stretch your limits as far as you can and determine how each of these things work not so much focusing on winning you're you're this is your chance to get to know this new set of possibilities um so yeah what was that game that you and i played that taught itself oh that was fortress that was a freedom yeah. freeze game yeah freedom and freeze game the game was in my opinion brilliant um the game itself was okay but the way that the game taught itself, there are very few rules you need to learn at the beginning. And as you play through the game, you uncover more cards. And some of those cards teach new rules. So after about an hour of playing the game, if you play multiple rounds over the course of the hour, you've learned the entire game and you've unlocked the whole thing. So now you've got this one deck of cards that is one whole game and you know how to play the whole thing. 
and you taught yourself by playing the game. Yeah, this is one of the fast-forward games. This is Friedman's new idea, which is fantastic Yeah, to teach people as they play. Yeah, Woody and I weren't too sure about it. About halfway through the game, we're like, what is this garbage? What is this? (laughs) By the end of the game, we're like, holy crap. That crafty, green-haired German taught us a game while we were playing it. (laughs) 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 Through some sort of psychotic telepathy. Yes. Okay, number seven, by the way, is give examples. And this is very important for for me because I'm a kinesthetic learner. I have to have my hands on the game, moving it around. Mm -hmm. So whenever someone's teaching a game and they have the board set up and they have all the pieces out and they say, for instance, you can on your turn, you can take this piece and put it here, which allows you to grab these things. And they mimic with the components how you do certain things. It seems so elementary to take a worker placement game and take the worker, put it on a space and get some pieces. But especially whenever someone's just learning the concepts of playing board games, that's super important. And for more detailed things, I mean, again, going back to Terra, not Terra Mystica, but yeah, Terra Mystica is a good good example of this too. But um, Twilight Imperium, there are so many pieces to the game that it seems really daunting learning how to play the game. And having someone teaching the game by moving pieces around and showing and pointing to places on the on the board and giving examples of play is phenomenal. It's it's completely necessary for some games to have that tactile sense of how to play the game. Yeah, I've read about chess experts who were taught as, you know, very young how to play chess without actually playing the game. They had they were given smaller scenarios with just two or three pieces. And those scenarios are repeated over and over again to learn like how to really use one piece in a particular scenario against other pieces. And then slowly but surely after they, they did all these individual scenarios, then they put it all together to make the game, right? To play the, the whole game. And I agree. I wish more games had that. Like in the list of instructions that it had, you know, how to practice, how to do this, how to do that, how to do that. And then have just solo scenarios right where it's you're only doing that one thing you're only gathering this one um resource or you're only moving this one thing over here and then because all those mechanics are different and then to teach them all at once can be very very overwhelming and there isn't always a like a a, an order that's set up right like we're talking about a a great teacher could would know and would have an idea of how to do that but i wish that games like came out of the box with uh like this is how to teach like this is your tutorial right? Teach yeah. this, do step one, two, three, four, five. And this isn't the game. This is the individual mechanics. Okay. Now go read the, the rule book and the instructions and how to set up. Right. Yeah. Cause teaching, teaching chess like that, that's kind of sort of how I was taught how to play chess. Yeah. Someone sat me down and said, you know, the, the pawn moves here, but then, you know, if you notice here, the queen is over there and they might be tempted to come take your pawn. And then you've got your, your knight here, which can go in the L shape and boom's got the queen. And you would sacrifice that pawn maybe to take the queen. And I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> and it's so stupid of you to sacrifice your queen that way. I said, well, yeah, it might not always work. But they'd show me how different pieces move and how that can be utilized to to put yourself in a good position. I thought that was real, a really cool way of teaching it. Chess yeah. might be a special condition of games almost. Because yeah. I'm thinking about... So if we go to, I'm, try, I'm going to try to pick something besides Terra Mystica because we've, we've talked about it a lot. If, if we go to something like, I don't know, like Caverna, and you just get used to 
to play in your pieces to pick up something. So, and that, so it's just like, we're not going to play the game today. We're just going to show you how to pick things up. That seems like it's very elementary compared to like that the things that we're talking about in chess. So probably it takes a really like heavy euro, like one of those deep, heavy cardboard kind of euros to to make you think that you need that kind of like practice of individual aspects of the game. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, the Caverna's um, sister game, um, Agricola. Grandfather game. <laughs> grandfather game, whatever. I was taught how to play that game by someone actually putting together, you know, in general, just just saying you, you can get this and put this together. And they put together a small farm, like half of a farm, and said, this is how these pieces fit together. This is how you build a fence. You, know, you have to have it completed like this. And then if you put this, if you then you can hold one animal in each square. Then mm-hmm. if you put this down, you can put two animals in each square. And they loaded it up with a couple of animals. And I was like, oh. And it helped things click a little bit. Just by showing tactile in a tactile manner how the pieces fit together and how they how they worked yeah i think i think it's applicable to almost any game something even like i don't know like even monopoly you'd be like hey just literally put the thimble on on here and then you draw this card and then you put that here and then you draw that card and if you're here like this is a building this is how you buy like you do those things individually outside of the actual game so that you see okay what happens once i'm there in that situation and that's what i do okay i've already seen it before so now i have a uh, frame of reference and it's familiar now i can go ahead and see it in the context of the of the whole game i think you could pretty much do that with any any gameplay mechanic yeah not the entire game but certain aspects of exactly. it, definitely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah like like we're, we're talking about doing the opposite of going broad strokes and then zooming in right we're talking i guess on the technical aspect going in um, you know, really, really, really detailed. Like this is this is, but like we're talking about the the technical aspect, right? It's this, 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 and then okay. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it's like okay, let's move out a little further and a little further and a little further until then you're seeing the whole game. Which I guess is like different because the, then we're talking about how to play the game than actually understanding the game, maybe because I think yeah. that the broad strokes is understanding what's going on and then the actual playing of it can be can be different the, the how-to yeah the more yeah. granular explanation yeah where you get more into detail happy little trees happy little trees by the way I, I want a bell um so that i can ring it each time we mention the word monopoly because right now i think we are 13 for 13 mentions of monopoly hey we're getting close to that with uh Terra Mystica and, <laughs> and Twilight, Twilight Imperium. Imperium. <laughs> hey, folks, buy these games. <laughs> Except for Monopoly. If you Just want that. to. Um, if you but want by to. the way, since uh, that is the Monopoly mention of this episode, you may now take your shot. Number eight. <clears throat> moving on. <laughs> Solicit strategy only as wanted. Now, there are a variety of ways to do this. Um, you could either, if you're playing with experienced gamers teach somebody the game and then let them make their mistakes, etc. And if they say, what should I do here? Then give them a strategy, tell them what would be, be their best move. But for God's sake, don't be an alpha gamer who constantly has to say, Oh, wait, you don't want to do that. You want to do this because people will hate you for it. And they will not want to play games with you anymore because you're a micromanager of their game, especially in cooperative games where this is really, really rampant. Um, I've seen it before in um, competitive games where someone will give them advice 
and it ends up they're giving them advice to move away from something they wanted to do, which is really a horrible way to, to manipulate somebody who doesn't know a game. But in cooperative games, it's almost like one person's playing the game because they're trying to tell everybody their best, most optimal strategy from their point of view. Yeah, so I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but I feel like it's important for me to bring up an aspect that I've noticed in some teaching games in which I've been taught the game. There's this kind of, uh, there's a like a breaking point, a transition point somewhere in the game where it's like the teacher of the game feels like you've gotten it. And they've decided to start taking a more aggressive tactic towards your plays now because they're playing the game with you also, right? So now they're starting, like now... It, they're trying to make this division between, okay, before, this guy over here has been asking me questions about what's the best strategy and what's not the best strategy. Now, now I think he understands that strategy, so I'm going to start not telling him the truth about that strategy anymore. Um, I, I've experienced this in, in some taught games, and it's a really frustrating moment because it's almost like, okay, I get it, you're taking the training wheels off, but I'm maybe not quite ready for the training wheels to be taken off just yet. And I almost feel like even asking for you to go back to what you were before is almost like saying, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just too, I'm, I can't get this. I, you know, I, I don't want you to have this experience right now. It's almost like I'm taking the joy away from the teacher at that point, because I'm saying, you know, I, I still need help with strategy. I still don't understand what the heck's going on here. Well, this is why I mentioned that there are multiple, multiple ways to do this. The way I typically do it is if I see someone making a move that might not be their best move, I will stop and say, okay, you want a little hint about strategy here. Okay. And they'll oftentimes say, no, I got this. Or sometimes they'll say, yes, was I doing something wrong? And I'll say, not wrong. However, if you do this, someone else is going to do that because this is how this mechanic works. And they might say, oh, I forgot about that. And then they'd make a different move. The other way is whenever I'm playing with someone, someone very new to games, especially children, uh, oh, children yeah. definitely need this because they have a, a problem a lot of times with cause and effect is whenever I see them making a move, I did this with my children all the time. I mm -hmm. said, if you do this, here are the consequences. Here are the consequences. Are yeah. you sure you want to make this move? And sometimes my children would say, yes, I want to make the move. And they're being obstinate about it. I'm like, okay. And then they make the move. And then I do the thing I said I was going to do. Right. Why did you do that, daddy? Uh, because I told you, if you did that move, I was going to do this because I'd be silly not to. So, I, I yeah. did my best possible move because I warned you I would do it. And that's a lesson they learned very quickly is daddy has no soul whenever it comes to his games. If I see, I won't destroy my children. I'll give them fair warning first, but if they want to be obstinate, I will be more than happy to take the win. Sorry. I warned you ahead of time. I was being, I was being kind daddy by telling you, you don't want to accept I, my kindness. Hey, <laughs> I really, I really like that approach of, hey, you know, just a heads up, if you do that, this, this, this might happen. Is that what you want? Or it's like, oh, okay, okay, that clarification. But the whole idea of having the teacher, um, I guess, kind of impose a strategy or teach strategy early on, it robs me as the learner of one of my favorite um, experiences in a game is when I start to connect the dots. I, try to, mm -hmm. I start to see that bigger picture. The you know? aha moment. Once I see... Yeah, once I see the matrix, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. You know, like I'll ask the teacher, can I do this, this, and this, and then do that? And, you know, when you get that, yeah, 
yeah, you can. It's like, oh, you know, like I, I love that moment. And if you're uh, trying to, to tell me like, oh, this is the best strategy. This is the way to do it. Never play this way. Or, you know, this is the way to win. Then then I, I won't I won't have that moment or, or it'll be like tainted. And and I love that experience. And, you know, when you're learning a game because you you never get that again. Um, I mean, right. you can get it along the way. Right. Where you're kind of figuring things out. But that's that's one of my favorite parts of learning a game. Yeah, yeah, that might be one of my favorites as well because it's it's like, yeah, I, I tend to like. <laughs> this is going back to Dave a little bit, but Dave would say, you know, when you ask him, you know, what's your favorite game? He says the one I haven't played yet. So I, I almost think that it's like for him, it was like the the that very moment is what you're looking for is that aha moment, you know, yep. where everything suddenly comes together. Yeah. But a, a little caveat to this, it's something I thought about a while back, and you guys can tell me whether or not you believe this is true or not, but. So all things being equal, saying that the game is perfectly weighted, perfectly balanced, it, it, it's a structure in which people can get together and really have a good competition. I, my thought was, if you have found a good strategy, rather than keeping that strategy to yourself, you tell people what your strategy is so that they can, you can be on a level playing field with them again so that you can kind of find the next level up of strategy because otherwise, it's just, I've got my strategy, I'm hiding it away from you, and I'm keeping you from knowing what I know. Therefore, I can win every time. That seems that seems counterproductive to the spirit of the game. Usually, if it's somebody's first game, and I'm playing the game, I might give hints about my strategy. But okay. I won't give the whole thing away, because that's just... I yeah. guess I'm thinking more in terms yeah. of... But at the end of the game, I'll definitely explain this is what I was or doing. Or well-vetted players. People right. who, like, like, let's say Terra Mystica. <laughs> Here we go with Terra Mystica. Again. What is wrong with you, Woody? Let's say Barony. Um, and I get a really good strategy together. And so I've won consistently against you for, like, the past five games. Like, I'm going to play five games of Barony in a row. But anyway. Because you didn't tell me other rules? Cause, no, because that, I... That's why? Oh. Because I didn't tell you the strategy that I'm using. I'm, I'm holding my strategy behind, you know, it's like... I've got my war plan. Are you ever going to figure out my war plan? And I don't know. Am I taking something away from somebody by telling them, this is my war plan. I want to see if you can actually beat it. Or am I giving them something? What makes more sense? I typically, again, I leave that up to them. I say, you want to hear how I did that? Okay. And then they have the option of saying, no. It's like whenever I go to see a movie, I, I just went to see Star Wars. You want to hear some spoilers? And some people don't care about spoilers. They're like, yeah, tell me what happened. And other people are like, if you say one more word, I'll rip your throat out. <laughs> yes. Okay, enough said. <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on the, on, on, obviously it depends on whether or not you're playing to get that feeling of destroying the other player. Or if you want the equal playing field, if you want the game not to end. Um, yeah. This is, I'm remembering like, uh, you know, old Street Fighter games. They used to have something called a handicap. So like if you were way better than me, you could raise my handicap so it could be a more level playing field. And it's more fun for both of us because I'm not just, you know, getting my butt kicked and you're not just like, you know, winning without any, any, any effort. And in a, in a board game that like is a long game maybe. Right. And Mm -hmm. maybe I don't want it to end. I know that if I share some information, this game could go on for another hour maybe. And maybe I want that, but maybe... Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to leave early, so I'm not going to say anything because <laughs> I said my good <laughs> state. I'm like, just go ahead and beat me. I'm over this game oh, yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Games I yeah, hate, so they're like, depends. the games I ended up hating, they're like, do you want to hear how I did that? No, 
no, I am, I'm, I'm good. I've, 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 I've got what I wanted out of this game. <laughs> you want to hear how I beat you at terraforming Mars? No. I'm, can we just put, can we just put this stupid game away? <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So number nine, put those distractions away. And this is on both sides. If you're teaching a game and you're texting someone or talking to people over your shoulder, man, teach the game. Also, if you're learning a game, it's not just phones either. It's talking to your friends who happen to be there or walking away to get some snacks in the middle of a game instruction. Oh, I hate when people do that. If I'm teaching a game, don't pause. Don't make me pause teaching everyone the game because you got thirsty. You're going to survive your your temporary thirst. Wait till I finish explaining the game. Um, I, One of the worst thing at cons. I haven't seen you in ages. Oh God. Oh God. No. Can you, can you not see them in ages in about 15 minutes after I explain the game? Cause you got three other people here who are trying to learn this game. There almost needs to be like a, a set of signals that we can have as gamers to say, you know what? It's great to see you. I'm in the middle of a rules definition. I got to talk to you later. There, there needs to be like some hand signal or something like, I don't know. And the person teaching the game needs an inflatable clue bat to hit them over the head with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That there needs be to be, there needs to be some etiquette here, because like if I'm playing the game that I really didn't want to play, and suddenly the one I did want to play opens up, it's oh. not okay to just get up and leave. <laughs> yeah, that's a nasty cool. move, and I've seen it yeah, happen yeah. too. Oh yeah. You know, we're in the middle of rules, and somebody says, "You know what? I really didn't want to play this after all, and the game I wanted to play opened up." Oh man, there's no quicker way for me to dislike you. <laughs> I have done that before, but typically it's, oh, it's a timed. Um, competitive uh, stress game. Um, let me stop you there. I, I really don't think I'm going to so enjoy this So that's different, game. though. That's, that's different. Than, right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's almost like once you sit down to the table, you are committing yourself to these people. When you leave the game, whatever it is you're leaving the game for, you are leaving a deficit in the table, and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, And it, it happens sometimes, but it, it's really frustrating. Yeah, Woody's learning a game, and I'm like, Woody... We're ready to start over here. You're like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Not cool. Peace. Yeah, that, that's a crappy thing to do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, another one of those is someone trying to explain the game. I've had this happen. Oh, my Lord, I hate when they do this. Sitting there on their phone, playing a, playing a game, playing like Ticket to Ride while I'm explaining the game. Oh. And then they come back later and say, oh, you didn't explain that rule. And the entire table saying, yes, yes, he did. You mean digitally did. playing Ticket to Ride. Digitally. So they're on a game on their phone while you're explaining the rules. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's a no-go, too. The, that's, the, that's really obnoxious. You know, phones are awesome, but we've, we've got to keep them off the table for the most part. I mean, yeah, it's just, it should just be a rule. And I don't um, know. I've never done that as while learning a game, but I am the kind of student in a classroom that's like, this is going too slow. I'm going to read ahead. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to start learning on my own. But I've never done that in the middle of a game, though. Yeah. Yeah. It may not be the same, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like, yeah, it's you can divide your attention. And the final one, number 10, just watch a video. For learning, is that really what number ten is? Yeah. Basically, the, the the idea here is, if you're learning how to play a game yourself, so you can teach it to other people, and you have trouble learning from a book, watch a video. We'll see an example they're, they're of somebody options. who does it well, basically. Right. See an example of somebody who's going to teach the game well. But they said, 
for some for some of you out there, if you own a lot of games, and you really teaching is part talent and part skill. If you have the talent, you can build skills to allow you to be better at teaching games. If you have zero talent, you can learn some skills that'll help you teach games. But if you don't have a core talent at ex of explaining yourself or, you know, there are some people who just really cannot explain things well. Um, so, Brian, are you telling I'm, me I shouldn't explain games? No, no, not you. Um, but my, I mean, I'm my a good wife, example. my wife, for instance, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. My wife, she, she will be, she will tell you right up front, she's not great at explaining games. She has no talent at it, but she's built up enough skills that she can teach games. But she knows she's never going to be as good at it as like Dave. Sure. She'll never be that good because Dave has a built-in talent for doing it, and he's used to, he's built up skills that allow him to be even better at it. Yeah. Um. I have a talent at playing at explaining things, which is why I became a teacher. I've I have fewer skills than Dave. I will guarantee he's a master. I'm the apprentice at this point, <laughs> as far as that goes. Now, it wasn't you I was pointing at. It was more no, um, but it, my I, wife. I can, but I was I, can, I was hesitating saying the name Ginger because she listens that. to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can own that as you know. I, I've noticed that I'm not you know. I don't have. I don't know if I have the talent or whatever. And that's what I was kind of hoping to suss out in our talk here was, well, how do you develop that talent, or do you? It's it's something just in like it. I don't know. It can't be something inborn because you're not going to walk walk out of the womb and say, "Hey, Meeple goes there." But um, a lot of the talent part of it has to come has to come with um, your ability to explain yourself, your ability to come up with words and phrases that allow people to have clear, clarity. To be able to explain situations in multiple ways. So if you explain it one way and somebody doesn't get it, you can explain it using different terms and they've got it. Yeah. I had a lady today, um, I was driving for Uber this evening, uh, which is kind of a side job for me. And she was, she was, she signed up for pool, which means if you've, if you've never ridden with Uber before you get a, you get a lower um, cost for your ride, but you can only take really two people with you because if you're driving, driving pool, you have to accept the fact that you're going to go a little bit out of your way, possibly to pick someone else up because you're carpooling. Yes. She had three children with her. Oh. English was not her first language. Oh. She kept trying to tell me, I need to go to JCPenney because I was going the opposite way from JCPenney. I said, mm. well, yeah, I have to pick up someone else. And I got into the turn lane. No, no, no. I need to go to JCPenney. Like I said, English was not her first language. And I yes. said, but I have, you're writing pool. I have another person to pick up. She goes, oh, oh, okay, okay. And I knew from the way she was saying it, she had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. I started to make the turn from the turn lane. No, no, I need to go to JCPenney over here. I said, all right. And I pointed at the app. I said, but I have one more person to pick up because you're on pool. And I did a circle with my finger. And she goes, oh, oh, okay, okay. And she and understood she it, it that okay. but I had to explain it in three different ways. Yes, okay, one of those, one of those point. being using gestures because language was a barrier there. Yeah. So, in that sense, if you're explaining a game, you can explain the rules. Then you have to use a kinesthetic method. Um, and some people, if they can't teach a game very well, they might turn on Rado and say, "All right, I'm having trouble explaining this game. Let's just watch Rado." And I've yeah. done that before, and we've yeah. we've we've all we have sat me, 
and Ginger and Woody and Susie sat in a room and watched Dorado run through to learn how to play a game. It wasn't ideal, but none of us could teach the game. True. And it worked out all right. We still had to reference the rules, but who doesn't have to do that from time to time? I think my my biggest success with teaching games has been, Susie, is that right? Is that how you play it? (laughs) (laughs) It's co-teaching with Susie. So, so not only like being able to explain it in different ways, but also being patient enough mm-hmm. to go through different methods, right? Because if you if you don't have patience, your your learner's gonna gonna realize that you know, like nobody's gonna want to play that game if you have if you're like mad that the person isn't understanding you. Um, I think I think that's a big one. I was expecting to see that one on the list. Like, you just need to be patient when you're trying to teach somebody, especially something. Some of these games are so complicated; they are ridiculously complicated i don't know i know it's part of the appeal but like that's why they're so overwhelming for many people it's like are you kidding me i've got like four different pieces and three currencies and two different sides to the thing i don't know it's it's crazy so i think patience is a big um a big piece and and i had an experience recently where my so there's this mobile game on uh cell phones that my entire family is playing okay it's called disney emoji blitz Uh, and and my sister started playing it and she she loved it. She was like, Josue, you have to check out this game. So I started playing, and now both of our parents play it, and and uh, my niece and my niece plays it, and we're all playing it simultaneously. My brother in law, it's it's the best. But when my sister tried to teach my mom, uh, my mom didn't like it. She was like, uh, I don't know. And she, so then like a month later, my mom comes to me and she's like, you know, I see you playing that game all the time and I just don't get it. Your sister tried to teach me the game and I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. I was like, Hey mom, well, do you want me to try to teach you? She's like, yeah, let's try it. Okay. So then I'm going through it and I'm way more patient than my sister. And I also, and this is, this is something that is, is a very clear distinction between me and my sister. I'm very good at reading people. Right. I'm uh, call it empathy or call it whatever you want, but I could see where she was struggling, where she wasn't. And I knew kind of where she was at. And I, I, I used different methods. I explained it in different ways. My sister's the type of person who starts talking to you about something, assuming that you know what it is, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you know, that's, that's not very helpful. So, so, you know, I went down to basics and my mom is now the top scorer every single week. <laughs> She is she is the top player in the family, and it's it's so funny. My dad is actually the the one on the bottom, and they're divorced. It's fantastic. They're all on the same leaderboard. It's a lot of fun, and and but but it was something that I I, I was thinking about when when you said that you wanted to, to talk about that today because it was it was so funny. My my mom's favorite game, she almost missed it because it was my sister who taught her the first time, mm. and now I taught her, and now. Like I, I don't remember my mom before this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, go ahead. It's a sacred duty to be a teacher of a game, and I, I think sometimes we miss that, um, and we just kind of puzzle it through. You know, rules crawl is kind of the most. It's the lowest common denominator of learning a game, and when I see people who have really mastered it, I feel like those are the like those are the people that you want in your game group. Those are the people that you want sort of in your society. Because they're the, the the strong teachers, I don't know what it is, but if you're going to do it, it feels like you are. You know, you're the ambassador to the game world, or you're an ambassador to that particular game at least. And if you don't think you can do it well, 
unless everybody agrees that regardless of how well you do it, we're going to do it, then maybe take a step back and don't do it because it, you are the you're you're the priest in the temple for this one. Yeah, you want to make a good first impression for the game because um, you and I and everybody else I know have decided we hated games because we had a bad first game of it. Absolutely, and yeah. And then someone else taught the game. And we were like, oh, oh, this is way better than I thought it was. What? What's the? There, there's one game um, about the about exploit about um, the colonization of Africa that you cannot stand. And uh, I own it, and you won't play it. <laughs> uh, the colonization of Africa. The only thing I can think of would be like um, um, Seven Wonders, but that's not really the colonization no, 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 of no, no, Africa. No. It's the one where you're playing the different companies. Oh. Oh, that one. I can't remember the name of it for some Mombasa. reason. Mombasa. Mombasa, yes. And you will not play that, and you've even Ever admitted again. you've even admitted that most of the problem with that game was your first experience playing it. Probably, but also the colorblind issue. So it, well, the it all kind of combined. Issue, yes. You know, a terrible experience is a ter- terrible experience, and it doesn't make you want to go back. You know, if you puke from riding the Goliath roller coaster at Six Flags, you probably are not likely to go back anytime soon. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I might would give it a try again, but it just didn't seem like stock trading in Africa just doesn't seem like my bag anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's such a good point because uh, I have a friend who, oh, which, by the way, Battlefront 2 has three different colorblind modes, just so you know, Woody. Ah, oh, nice. Oh, cool. That's and, awesome. Uh, and I have a friend who played the game. She's a huge Star Wars nut. And she played the game and it made her sick. And But she wanted to play the game so badly that she looked up how to reduce those effects. And she ended up buying, she had to buy a new TV anyway, but she bought the new TV based on the assumption that this particular television had the features that she needed to reduce motion sickness so that she could play the game. But very rarely is someone so dedicated to the idea of a game that you would like go through that much trouble or spend that much money to be able to play it, right? It really yeah. is based on that first experience for the most part. And, and it's really hard to go back, you know? Like my mom went back to that mobile game because she saw that I was having fun playing with my sister and she felt kind of left out. My, yeah. my friend lives and breathes star wars and she doesn't want to miss out on this game and i'm constantly telling her she has to play it right so so like those those are different elements but yeah bad first experience it's rough like why why would i put myself through that again why would i throw up on that roller coaster again no, thank <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly. yeah exactly I'm, I'm pretty sure that um woody's son right now would probably give his right leg if it would get him into a pathfinder game he, he, w- <laughs> he probably would yes <laughs> That's fascinating, by the way. I would love to hear like where where that um, desire to play um, RPGs came from. Stranger things, Stranger other things. Episodes, you know. But. Stranger things. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> totally <laughs> evangelized D and D for him, and so now that Brian has connected Pathfinder very clearly with D and D. He wants to play Pathfinder. He wouldn't even play the Castle Ravenloft board game because it did not that look like D and D. That is based on D and D. I mean, it uses it even uses the same rules as D and D, but he won't have it because he wants to play like they were playing. 
wants a character sheet. He wants the whole thing. Yeah, yes. he does. He wants yeah. the whole nine He wants yards. the experience. And I, I totally get it. Um, I, I, I can't wait to give it to him. I can't wait to see how he responds to his first role-playing game. But man, he is of a one-track mind on it, man. He will not play any other role-playing game <laughs> until he plays either D&D or Pathfinder. And the he was even skeptical about Pathfinder. He'll explain that it was Dungeons & Dragons 3.75. Yeah. <laughs> Paizo bought the rights to, to the D20 system, and they're able to keep publishing Pathfinder, even though Wizard of the Coast is not supporting it anymore. He's like, so it's D&D. I said, yes. Yes. I didn't even qualify it with kind of, sort of. I said, yes, it is. It's D&D <laughs> 3.75. Yep. Okay, then I want to play that. Cool. cool. All right. Yeah, cool. We'll do that. So now. So even after a bad, um, what, what was the game that you guys played? I forgot the name. Talisman. Talisman, Talisman right? So even after a bad Talisman experience, he still, he still, He's still willing to give it another chance. Oh yeah, he and he was to. willing yeah, to go yeah, back yeah. to Talisman, so that that you know that that was cool. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what cemented in his mind that he's going to play nothing. He will accept no substitutions. That could gotcha. be because the yeah, first substitution be. he this got is such was such a poor a imitation of what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, that you yeah. know I will trust nothing else because I've had a bad first impression of anything that's not D and D. No, but again, to his credit, he came back and he won the game. So. No, no skin off his back. He, he, he did some fantastic work for himself to try to, you know, to, to go back and master the game. I, I was really impressed yeah, with There's something to be said for winning a crappy game. Yeah. A game that's making <laughs> you thoroughly unhappy, but you won by God. You know, it's so hard for me to call it a crappy game because it was such a big part of my childhood. I've played it. I've played it twice. Didn't enjoy either time. Okay. Took way too long for what it was. Well, I, I will agree with that. Hey, it took me a long time to turn around on Monopoly because I enjoyed it in my childhood. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> <laughs> just for you, man. Just for you. Had to do it. Yeah, it's eventually going to be, well, if they mention Terramisca, Twilight Imperium, or Monopoly, take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Not throwing away my shot. All right. Um... <laughs> Well, this has been a fascinating discussion about uh, teaching games, and I, I feel like there, there's there's a ritual that we need to develop as as teachers and learners when we come to the game table for a new game. You know, it, it, you know, patience is certainly cornerstone of it all, and and then the ability to express things in very clear terms that you can kind of transpose to other things. So, you know, all these different sort of manifestations of learning, whether it's kinesthetic or verbal or reading or whatever it might be, those all seem like they're, they're really good tools to have in your toolbox. And a little bit of improvisational skill is probably not going to go too far away from helping explain a game as well. So again, I, I just think it's a very sacred duty. And, and I think, we as game players need to pay attention to it a lot more than we do. I, you know, I'll, I'll take responsibility. I need to pay attention to it more because reading somebody a rule book at the table is not going to be the best way to teach them the game. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of meeples. 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 <laughs> I was wondering how you're going to keep that from becoming. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of Bora Bora. Um, oh, yeah. I still want to play that game sometime whenever I can understand it. I, I, I want to explain it to you in a way that's awesome. Well, maybe we should just watch a video. Yeah. Probably. That that was the final rule 
in, in that yeah. article. To your to your Let's credit, you'd only played the, to your credit, you'd only played the game once before, and then you popped open the box and were like, "I," you, you were like, "You were like Gandalf." I have no memory of this place. <laughs> <laughs> nope. God tiles, sacrifices, uh, man and woman actions. I don't a, know. A whoopee hut. Uh, 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 it wasn't a whoopee hut, but it was. That's what I call it. Okay, well, that's because they always said, you know, bump in the hut. Yep. Um, all right, for people who have not played this game, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, uh, well, I want to thank everybody for listening. This this has been a fantastic discussion, and uh, we want to hear from you. Um, you listeners who have had experience with teaching games or with learning games, what's it like to be um, an educator in the game world? What's it like to be the learner those experiences are cornerstones of our game time and so i want to hear from you guys uh you can write us you can write us at gamers at rollingforchange.com and tell us your experiences that's what we're doing we want to collect experiences and talk about them because we're going to turn the inside of the board game world outside so we can see it it's the upside down of the board game world sorry stranger things (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. We've had a good time here. Yeah, definitely. So Always. Uh, we'll come back again and talk more in the near future. And we'd love to hear from you guys about what you would like to hear us talk about. Because we can, we can expound upon a number of, of topics. We're crafty <laughs> like that. We are. All right, guys. Thanks so much for talking to me, and uh, we'll do it again. And keep on rolling for change. That's right. Thank you so much for joining us for Rolling for Change. This has been episode number 18, Teaching a Game. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. Check out our newest addition to the family, Starship Therapies. You can find this and many other wonderful geeky podcasts at geektherapy.com. Our theme music was composed by Rocket Scientists. You can find their music at bandcamp.com or wherever you buy great music. Remember, we want to talk to you. If you have a story about how gaming has changed your life, if you have a topic you'd like to discuss, if you're a game designer, the list goes on. Our email contact is gamers at rollingforchange.com and our Twitter handle is at rollforchange. Thanks so much for listening and keep on rolling for change. <laughs>